Hello, everyone, and welcome to our next episode of Mahita Talks. Today, I'm very excited to have Mr. Todd Cohen with us. Todd is a dynamic, engaging, and motivational speaker. His message is relevant to any organization striving to increase revenue, strengthen relationships, and improve client satisfaction. He demonstrates how every conversation is a selling moment and how everyone can contribute to the growth and profitability of their organization. Welcome, Todd. Thank you. Happy to be here. Appreciate the Appreciate the lovely introduction. <laughs> well, we're very excited to have you here today as kind of a precursor to uh, the Mahita Convention coming up here in a few months. Yep. So as I understand that you'll be giving two sessions at the Mahita Convention, uh, which takes place at the end of April. So we encourage any of our visitors, make sure if you listen to this podcast, make sure to hook up with Todd, go to one of his sessions at the Mahita Convention. If you haven't registered yet for the convention, make sure to register. And we look forward to seeing everybody there. Sign up, sign um, up, but, sign up. Let's go, let's go, people. <laughs> We've taken too much of a break and I think people are desperate to get together again. Oh, they so. are. There's no question. Black <laughs> uh, events are all the rage again. Thank goodness. I know, it gave this almost sort of new breath to conventions. Yep. Um, so we're all very excited to have you at the Mahina Convention. Um, I've actually started reading your book entitled Everyone's in Sales. And I was hoping that you could give us a little bit of a context about what you really mean by that. Yeah, I mean, it's a great question, right? And it's one that, so years and years ago, when I started my career at Xerox, you know, what I noticed early on is that sales is not just the province of salespeople. You know, organizations tend to be very siloed and silos hurt companies, silos hurt sales. And, you know, sales is not something that everybody wants to be in because of the negative stereotype. The reality of it is in an organization, everyone's in sales, everyone sells because everybody does something that helps the customer say yes. So I don't care where you are in the organization, you have a material impact on you know, the customer's capability and ability to do business with you. And customers notice when your organization, frankly, doesn't have their act together because people go, not my job, or sales, that's their problem, or I'm just the. So the book is about helping everybody understand that they really do matter in a way that maybe they hadn't seen before. And then of course, there's, the, there's the, the more obvious answer, which is we're always selling ourselves, right? I mean, we always have to sell ourselves in everything we do. So the idea is to break through that negative stereotype of selling and make it something that people go, yeah, I'm already doing it. So that's what it's about. Yeah, and I, I think it's such a great concept that certainly within material handling industry, I've seen a lot, and I'm sure that it expands through every industry in some capacity. And, you know, I think the siloed approach is a very re big reality for a lot of companies, and it's kind of overcoming that. And I couldn't agree more. I think it's everybody's responsibility, and we talk about it from the customer experience perspective. Yeah. And whether you're in accounting, in accounting, whether you're a field service technician, whether you're actually an account manager, all of those things need to work seamlessly um, to provide the right experience for the customer. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's more than customer service or customer experience. It's the mindset <laughs> that the customer saying yes 
is something everybody has their hands on and the customer you know they're they're much smarter sometimes than we give them credit for right <laughs> you know and they know when something is disconnected or dysfunctional in your organization mm -hmm. very good point so kind of sticking on the topic of sales um, most of our listeners are in industrial sales, so B2B, industrial capital equipment sales. Yeah. Um, what would you say is the biggest challenge in industrial sales in today's environment? Well, I don't know that it's any different than any other sort of organization, and I, and I have the, the, the privilege of working with all kinds. And I think, you know, I think today it's not just one challenge, candidly. I wish I could say it was. You know, it's just one thing, we'll get over it. I mean, we're all just yeah. coming out of COVID, so there is this need to re-engage with people again in a way that sets you apart and differentiates. I think that's something that companies need to uh, rediscover. Now, in this particular industry, look, we they have been open, quote unquote, longer than a lot of other industries out there and engaging customers. So I don't know if that's as big of an issue. I think the reality of it is in industrial sales, we have, uh, at least what I see are a lot of the organizations, and just what I said a moment ago, are very, very siloed. Parts, service, sales, HR, operations, whatever it might be. And the problem is when you're siloed, it doesn't really allow for growth, right? Because people think that they don't have a voice. People think that they don't really, you know, what I do, well, you know, I'm just back office, or I'm just this, or I'm just that. And that impacts sales because, as I said, no one person owns the ultimate end-to-end -end process of getting, of having a customer really honor you by saying yes. So the challenge is how to get everybody engaged differently so that they understand it's like a jigsaw puzzle, right? We all have a part and if a piece falls out, something breaks. That's what I mean by sales culture. So kind of understanding that and knowing that going into 2020, there were a lot of organizations that already had those silos. Do you think overall those silos got worse through the last two years of the pandemic and, and people working from home and sales, organi sales organizations changing? Or do you think it helped? Uh, no, COVID did not help. <laughs> COVID did not help any company that I know. And, you know, I think what we have to be careful is a lot of companies say, well, we had a record year, we had a great year, we had great sales. You know, we, we can't be lulled into a sense of complacency or really, you, you know, what goes up comes down, what goes down comes up. And at the, end of the, at the end of the day, you know, I'm still old school enough to know that eye to eye engagement, 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 engagement matters. And the further we take a step back from the customer or from each other, is a step that it's harder for the customer now to take toward us. So, you know, it works in proportion. And while we could say, well, we're just as productive or just as efficient, I don't know that it's just, I don't know that it's that simple. And, and while I don't want this to be, a, you know, I just, you know, all about virtual versus not virtual, even though I'm a very non-virtual person, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer in being out there. I think that, um, you know, we have a lot of work to do to make sure that we still have our customers trust, the relationships are in place. And just because there's money in the industry right now doesn't mean that we can get complacent about where we are. And you can't be hiding behind a computer if you want to avoid complacency. 
Agreed. And I love that you started that out with, you know, even if you had a good year and the balance sheet looks good, everybody thinks they're doing fine. If that's the only metric you use to measure your business. And the yeah. reality is, is that 99.9% of material handling companies that I've talked to in the last two years, record sales, never done better. Huge yeah. sales and a lot of it driven because of COVID and the need to automate certain processes. Um, yeah. But that doesn't last forever, you know, and yeah. now if we're in a culture where they already went into COVID kind of siloed, COVID probably increased those silos just by nature of how work was. Now we seem to be transitioning back into what we at least knew before is normal life in some capacity. How do organizations really take a step back and examine their culture and start to implement strategies to affect that change you're talking about? Well, at the risk of sounding self-serving, because that's the work that I do, I'll try to put it aside for a moment. But I believe passionately, that, first of all, a couple of things. We can't assume that everything's good because it's good, okay? We can't assume just because the balance sheet looks good or we had record sales that everything is as it seems. Look. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I'm proud to be overhead. No matter what your sales are, people want to know that what they do matters. Because the one thing I see in this industry is an enormous amount of passion and commitment to the company, to the mission, to the family that owns it. If it's a privately held company, whatever it might be, I see an awful lot of commitment. That commitment, however, can wax and wane based on how somebody feels that they're connected, right, to, to and what yeah. they do actually had a material impact on the revenues coming in. So I think one of the things that we can do and we should be doing right away is making sure that we're engaging people across the organization as much as possible. In other words, if you're having a sales meeting, don't just have sales, you should have everybody in that meeting. If you're having a product development meeting, there should be there should be representatives from around the, the company um, and you know, should be involved. And it's extremely important that we understand no one part of the organization gets it done by themselves. And therein lies the, um, the, the rub, if you will, that everybody, it has to be all hands on deck. So mm -hmm. um, I, we, we have to be really, really careful about how we continue to communicate with people and how we continue to engage people in the business and show them that they matter. It can't be business as usual. Mm -hmm. What do you think are some of the biggest roadblocks? Having done this a number of times yourself, what are some of the biggest roadblocks that you find when you're trying to modify a culture? Silos. You know, once again, it's silos, right? It's, it's, you know, look, silos are caused by fear. Silos are caused by anxiety. Si you know, silos are caused by fear of losing control, fear of change, uh, you know, fiefdoms that you've built up over time. And I, literally, I was just having this conversation uh, this morning to somebody, with somebody, somebody I coach, and we were, and we were literally saying how, you know, when somebody says, I'm scared of this, what they're really saying is I'm scared of change. And that tends to drive them deeper back into their silos, deeper back into uh, a, a sense of, you know, I, I, I'm just the. So we have to help people recognize that change is good. We have to help people recognize that change is inevitable and that we want them to be part of it, not to be afraid of it. I, I mean, it, it's, a, it's, a, 
it's a challenge that we all have right now that all companies face in time. And, mm -hmm. and especially with how good business is right now, it's really important that we're engaging people and let them know that, you know what, where we're headed, we can't do it without you. And that brings people out of the silo. So mm -hmm. communication, transparency around communication is, is just an enormous task for everybody. Great. And I'm hoping, you know, we say that maybe no good things came out of COVID, but one of the good things that I've seen in some organizations that I've worked with is people are more flexible and realize that they're more adaptable than they thought they were, you know, because we had to be and we had to be very quickly. Um, so I'm hoping the attitude towards change, you know, is becoming a little bit more open-minded and that it can be better on the other side. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, talking about communication, I, I couldn't agree more. I think communication needs to be open and totally transparent. But how in today's world that has gone to more electronic communication, how can you really have and create genuine relationships when you're communicating electronically or even via Zoom? Yeah, so so being present is a key part of this, right? I mean, look, communicating electronically, <laughs> is is such an escape hatch for people you know yeah. we don't uh you know we tend to look at our phones we're overwhelmed we have too much information coming in i mean at the end of the day there's just too much going on so for example when we're when we're communicating uh you know being as i said being present is the absolute differentiator using people's names eye contact not looking at your phone turning cameras on engaging people asking open-ended questions things that we have to keep doing. In fact, I believe that we have to actually work harder to stay engaged virtually than when we're in a room with somebody. So you and I are talking right now, and I mean, the reality of it is I'm looking at, I practice by looking at the camera, even though I'm not looking right at you because that looks like I'm looking away. My phone is nowhere near me. You know, Sherry, I use your name, you use my name, Todd. You know, we have to work extra hard at engaging people in a way that keeps their attention with us and oh, by the way, reminds them that we're engaged with them, like they're the only person in the room at that point. And it's a skill. And, you know, there's so much what I call, and I've heard this term before, infobesity out there. There's just too much to distract us, right? Between the phones and YouTube and videos and content and emails and text messages, <clears throat> our attention spans are down around our ankles right now. So, I mean, it's just so low. And uh, so we have to work extra hard at it. And, you know, being present is a key component. Emotional intelligence, EQ, is a key component of that. And it's something that is really now beginning to catch up in the industry. Yeah, I agree. And it's eliminating some of those distractions is right. really the mechanism that allows you to be engaged. I think right. we've all sat through many meetings at a round table and, you know, half of the attendees are on their cell phone. Some are doodling in a notebook. You know, there's just this tendency to look at other things as opposed to engaging in the conversation. Right. And I think it, it, you have to work at getting better at that. It doesn't necessarily come organically to a lot of people. Right. Um, so kind of switching gears a little bit, and, and right now in the industry, as I said, the last two years, they've had record years, 
um, really great revenue and profits. And a lot of material handling companies are now having what other industries are having are labor shortages. Um, they're looking for primarily salespeople um, because their territories have grown so much and they're trying to hire salespeople into the organization. Do you have any tips for people looking to hire salespeople and what some of those qualifications or criteria should be that you look at when hiring for a salesperson? Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, this is this is the conundrum that everybody's facing right now is is finding people and finding good people and keeping them. And so there's a there's a number of things. And I, let me let me let me answer that question from the company perspective. First, make sure you have a good onboarding program. We don't want yeah. any of our salespeople to have buyer's remorse. And by the way, this is just isn't salespeople. This is everybody joining your organization. We don't want anybody having buyer's remorse. So we have to make sure they know before they ever show up that we have their back. I have clients that I've worked with just building onboarding programs and they report back to me, it has made an enormous difference in uh, you know, the, the, the new hire's experience. In fact, I always used to say, if they come back on day four, you've got them. Day one through three, I worry about. Day four, I'm, pr I'm yeah. feeling pretty good. They're, they're, you know, they're here to stay. I also think that, uh, you know, I've always had a mantra, you hire slowly, fire fast. And I'm not advocating we fire anybody, but what I, am, what I am suggesting is that as you're interviewing people, first of all, make sure that you have a coordinated approach to the candidate. Don't be looking for people to interview that candidate at the last moment. Hey, we need somebody to talk to this person. I fully recommend that you have a interview strategy in place with the right same number of people each time so you get the right same consistent viewpoint. I mean, look, somebody bails out, you can always find a substitute. It's like a jury, although this isn't a jury, but it's like a jury, right? You have the jury and you have alternates. So make sure you have that in place. Make sure that you're consistent in the interview experience. Make sure that you make the offer of perhaps visiting, uh, going into the field with a salesperson before they ever start. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do that are innovative that really don't cost you anything. I see people come trying to come up with all kinds of, you know, you know, cockamamie things they can do when I think at the end of the day, we just need to make sure the person is fully aware of what they're walking into. And that is my, mm -hmm. that is my tip for hiring great people. You don't have to do anything different. Just make sure you don't give them any reason to question their decision. No, that's great advice. I think, you know, all too often, it's all about getting the person in the door. And once again, the door, some people have this hands-off approach. And and I argue within the first year of employment tends to be the highest percentage when you lose them. And sometimes that onboarding process has to last beyond even, you know, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, and into their whole experience of becoming a part of your organization. Right. And that's more than a, a week training class, right, right, that, you know, when you start. So I think that's a great point. Now, my sales friends in the industry would, would kill me if I didn't take advantage of this time to ask you. In material handling, we went for, and I'll just use 20 years ago, margins used to be around 20, 30%, depending on the product you're selling. Today's environment in a lot of areas of the business, margins are somewhere around one to 3%. And a lot of other industries have, have seen this. So there's a huge competitive forces in the market that are driving those down. And, and so it's always dealing with those customers that want everything at the lowest price. So what would be your recommendation for customers that only want to talk about price and are just looking for the lowest price that they can get? 
Well, so there's a couple of ways to, to go at that, right? And I appreciate your all your sales friends' uh, interest in, in having you ask this question. I get this all the time. So, uh, and, and by the way, there's no one answer to this. Let me be very clear, right? I mean, there's just, and anybody who says they have the magic answer, the magic bullet, and how to deal with price 100% of the time is absolutely they don't. So let me let, let me put that up front. So, but I do, and I do have a couple of thoughts on this. One, uh, you know, when someone says they don't have the money, usually it means that they need more information. They need more of a reason to do business with you. I, I that's the first thing I consider because what I have found almost exclusively in my in my entire sales career, if somebody wants something, they can find the money. So that's usually the first part, right? I mean, money is. I, I mean, unless you're I mean, there's all kinds of, of sure examples and outlying, you know, outliers, whatever. That being said, uh, the other thing that I would I would propose is I think that it's okay. I'm going to say something which might ruffle some feathers. I think it's okay to fire customers sometimes, and sometimes it's okay to say, you know what, I appreciate your need for the lowest possible price, that's not the right customer for us. I wish you well, and it's time to move on. Uh, I, I, I really believe that's healthy for the business, that frees up our time to find the customers, the clients that see us not just as a price vendor, but as a service provider, can, a long-term relationship, everything that really matters. And you know, you know frankly, most of the clients I have in this industry, they have such long-term relationships. It's long past being about price. It's long mm -hmm. past being about just that bottom line, what's on that sales contract. So, I what I what I what I would encourage people to do is be careful about not engaging and getting too deep into a back and forth on price because you're never going to win that argument. You might get right. the deal once. But it's you're gonna you're gonna regret taking that order. You're gonna regret working with that customer. So the real answer is courage in sometimes saying we're just not a good fit for each other. I've done mm -hmm. that. I've had to walk away from clients where I've said this just isn't gonna work. I'm I'm sorry. I I I I, I love you. Great person. Not gonna work. I agree. I, I've had to do that myself before. And I think it's something that we talk about. I think we recognize that, but not enough people have that courage to actually do it, you know, because you're like, well, some dollars is still better than no dollars. And but when you look at the bottom line, a lot of those customers cost you more. You actually lose dollars that way. Um, so thank you for that. And now I can get them off my back and tell them that <laughs> watch the podcast. We have an answer. Well, they're for welcome you. to call me. I'll talk to them. <laughs> So Todd, you have made it to our lightning round of Mahita Talks. I'm not sure if you're familiar with our lightning round. Um, I have 10 questions that I'm gonna ask you. I try to make these as appropriate as possible. So we're just looking to get to know you a little bit better with some fun questions that we have. Are you ready? Go for it. All right, I'd like to start off easy. Um, what's a nickname your parents used to call you? Oh my God, my dad used to call me Toot. Toot, and we'll leave it up to the audience to assume why that was. Yeah, let's let's not even go there. I I yes, they just call me Toot. <laughs> All right, what was your last Halloween costume? <laughs> oh, 
Well, let's see. The last time I dressed up for Halloween, I was probably much, much, much younger than I was. And I remember dressing up as a surgeon because I happened to have some scrubs lying around the house. And I don't even remember where I got them. <laughs> what were you afraid of as a child? My goodness. Uh, I was afraid of... Wow, that's a great question. I I uh, would probably say... I, it, I I was afraid where I grew up, we had a house that had a lot of woods and a creek and then a little precipice that went over sort of and it just fell down. It wasn't I mean, when you're when you're six years old, it's a mountain. It was probably not right. more than 10 feet. And I think when I think back on it, I was afraid of kind of going too far toward that because I might get lost in this dinner and never be found <laughs> again. So I definitely was afraid of that drop off. I could see that. All right. Would you rather have telekinesis, the ability to move things with your mind, or telepathy, the ability to read minds? Telepathy. Telepathy. Wow, that was like quick. That's no that's, that's no brainer. I'm a, I'm a professional speaker. I want to know what's in minds of my audiences. <laughs> that's a good point. Um, what is the stupidest dare you ever agreed to? Oh goodness, leaning out of a car at 16 years old with a baseball bat knocking down no parking signs and getting um, caught and getting caught and ticketed you deserved it though yeah i did um, what is one thing you regret spending money on wow hmm. you know i pride myself on taking on, on, on being good with my money but i've wasted a lot over the years as well uh, probably, <laughs> probably the last computer I bought, it was way more than I needed. And uh, it was way more expensive and then it broke. So um, I was pretty upset that I bought it because I wound up not even returning it. And I was, it was close to $3,000. I was mad at myself. Yeah, it would be. What is the, what is the favorite age that you've been so far? 38. 38, very specific. If you could be transformed into any animal, which would you choose? My dog, Luna, who is a, which is a Shiba Inu, is the coolest dog on the planet, so I want to be her. My daughter wants a Shiba Inu so bad, so it's a good dog. Well, she, my, um, Luna is the most cared for animal on this planet and spoiled. <laughs> So I want to be her with no worries and be able to sleep all day. All right, last one. Would you rather travel to the past or to the future? Past. All right, sir. Well, you made it through our lightning round. Congratulations. Thank Unfortunately, you. I have no prizes to award you. Okay. Um, but thank you for sharing that with us. Would you like to leave our audience with any just closing closing thoughts? Yeah, well, first of all, Sherry, thank you for having me. I, I, I love to talk about my passion, which is everyone's in sales and building a sales culture. I, I think what I would say to the audience is, you know what? In your organizations, bring down those silos. Don't let people say, I'm just the, or think that they don't matter, because that's what the customer picks up on. And as a consumer, how would you feel if you were dealing with an organization and someone said, not my job, or I don't, or I'm just the, well, so the, so the thought really is, are you easy to do business with? Ask yourself that question critically. 
is your company easy to do business with? And that's what I think everybody needs to grapple with today. Agreed. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Todd. I really enjoyed listening to your points. I'm excited to see you at the Mahita Convention thank, in thank person. You. And um, thank you again. This has been Mahita Talks with Sherry Altergott. See you guys next time. Bye.